Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. I appreciate uh, the fact that we're able to be here tonight and, and I'm thankful for his presence and power and Amen. I do appreciate being together, but I'm thankful for the sustaining power of God, even, even when there is the absence of others around us. Aren't you thankful that God can just sustain us and keep us, hold us in the center of his will? Amen. What a privilege to be with you this evening in the house of the Lord. Amen. I want God to do something special in our heart tonight. Amen. I believe that he will. I believe that he will. I believe that God has confirmed some things for this word this evening. And I ask him to just touch it to our heart. My, my, my. Amen. In, in, in the face of just our human inabilities, we can look in the mirror of, of reality and say we are unable. Jeremiah said, I'm just a child. Noah, or Moses said, I, I don't, I, I'm not a man of plain speech. Um, many other characters in scripture and many other people in life have said, woe is me. I'm unable to do that. God sent an angel to the altar to get a coal of fire and touch the lips of Jeremiah and said, never say, never say I'm just a child again. Never say that again. And so with us, things are impossible, but I'm thankful for the power of God that strengthens us and touches us in this place. Amen. Can we pray over his word tonight? Lord, I love you. Thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost. I thank you for strength. I thank you for your anointing, your ability tonight, God, to just lift us from where we are. I pray, God, this evening that the word will be a reality that this is the rest wherewith we cause the weary to rest. And I pray tonight, God, that weary bodies and minds and spirits have already been rewarded for the effort, God, that has been put forth to be in this house tonight. And I pray your winds of anointing and refreshing will continue to blow. Strengthen us today, God. In the name of Jesus, strengthen us today. Amen. Amen. You can be seated if you'd like. God bless you in Jesus' name. I would like to turn our attention this evening to the book of Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 9. For some, it is a very familiar passage of scripture and a very familiar man, Bible character at the center of this story but perhaps not for all. In the book of Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 9, the Bible says these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Amen. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. I think about 
so many people in the scripture and then also many people that we have been able ourselves to interact with in our generation and then others we read about who just obviously had the hand of God's divine favor upon their lives. One such Bible character that leaps from the page would be the man Joseph who found himself in some of the most unbelievable circumstances of life. But yet the favor of God, wherever he was, God granted him favor. God granted him favor even in the darkest, dullest, most dismal moment of his existence. In a prison cell where it was each for his own, God gave him favor. He was able to find favor with someone that would ultimately get word to the, to the king or to the Pharaoh and God would divinely lead him out. I'm thankful for the favor and the hand of God upon lives. When we think about the life of Noah, it was certainly a terrible time and uh, it was a, a turbulent time, a trying time. We don't know a whole lot about uh, perhaps what the earth looked like prior to the flood. But we do know a few things. In the book of Genesis chapter 1, in in verses 6, perhaps 6, 7, and 8, along in there, we know that God talks about a space that was between the earth and and, uh, the waters which were above, as the scripture says. But there was a significant change to the earth itself after the flood. From the glimpses that we get in the first five chapters of Genesis, it seems that Noah was living in a rapidly growing human society. Unfortunately, it did not take many generations before the corrupt nature of humanity began to reveal itself. It's here that God repented in Genesis 6 and 6. What a strange passage of Scripture that God would repent for making man. Despite God's frustration with this evil world and the wickedness that was upon the earth, the scripture describes Noah as being that bright spot amidst all the debauchery of the day. While the rest of humanity, it seems, had a consistent, continual bent towards sin, Noah lived a life in stark contrast to everything that was going on around him. Now, the Bible doesn't give many specifics, but we can see a few key points about the kind of fellowship that Noah had with God. The first thing we see from Genesis 5 is that Noah was the last in the line of the patriarchs that actually knew God. According to Genesis 5 and 32, when the story starts, Noah was already 500 years old. 500 years. That's a long time to walk in fellowship with God. It's hard to imagine what a, what a friendship would look like after five centuries. I've got friends that I've had for decades, and I know what those friendships look like. They are beyond our ability to measure. They are beyond our ability to put a price tag and say, well, this is the value of what this person or that person means to me. Their, their voice through the years, their shoulder at times to... to to lean on their guidance and the list could go on and on of those valuable relationships that have indeed stood the test of time. So how could you measure a friendship 
that we would weigh in centuries. During this time, Noah learned how to live righteously, I believe, by the maintaining of a relationship with God. I think it's also worth noting that in the days of Noah, this predated the law by hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. And so what I mean by that is there was no set religious law or guidelines or there were no rules to follow. And so Noah just learned by relationship what pleased God. And he walked in those principles and those precepts. And that was the, the, uh, the beginning or the foundation, if you please, of their relationship. Now the scripture doesn't give us a lot of details about the relationship between Noah and the Lord but I, I do believe there are some signs that we can find the foundation was pretty thick. Amen. It was God that was willing to share with Noah his disappointment in mankind. God was willing to talk to man about man. Amen. And I believe that when we find someone with whom we can share great sorrow and great difficulty and we know we can trust them and their life and their shoulders to hold us and sustain us in those times. It is a wonderful sign of what kind of fellowship they had. Another biblical example of a righteous man that was grieved by the world in which he was forced to live was a man by the name of Daniel. As a young man, in the royal court of Jerusalem, Daniel became a political prisoner and was taken more than 1,600 miles away from his homeland. While he, was held in, while he was held captive in Babylon, he was forced to endure many things. We can read about things like uh, he was forced to have his name changed and he was forced to be exposed to pagan religions and, and uh, he was now relegated to a lifetime of service in a foreign royal palace. These were the things imposed upon him. He was a man without a country, uprooted from his life, held captive in a place called Babylon. Daniel was consistently surrounded by nothing less than pure evil. To make matters worse, the Bible talks about he rec that Daniel recognized these conditions. He knew that the conditions that he lived in was the aftermath of the judgment of God against Jerusalem for their sin. Yet... In all of this, in, in the midst of everything Daniel was living in, the Bible talks about in chapter 9 that he maintained his relationship with God, that he kept an humble attitude about sin that was around him, and that he himself was grieved for the sin of his own nation. And that Daniel, in the midst of all of this, continued to pray and keep his relationship holy and wholesome before God. Amen. On multiple occasions, in the midst of everything he was going through, God gave Daniel clear and concise directions. I understand today, and not to try to sensationalize or capitalize on the moment that we're living in. I understand everything that's going on to the best of my ability that's going on in the world around us. Amen. The pandemic that has struck fear into our nation. Amen. And rightly so in many accounts. And those that have buried their loved ones, the list goes on and on. The social unrest that is in our nation as we speak. 
Amen. And it seems that it's just spreading further and further and further. We could wonder what could God do in the midst of all of this? And what is the church to do in the midst of all of this? I believe that when we realize the favor of God that is upon the church, do you realize tonight that the institution of the church is not the ideology of man. The institution of the church is God ordained. And the hand of God's favor is upon the church. And so I believe in the midst of darkness, we can realize why we're here. Daniel realized we're here in captivity because a nation has turned their back on God. Could I tell you today that in large part, we are here as a nation because we have turned our back on God. But it's not time to fold the Bible. Amen. It's not time to put our books on the shelf. It's not time to dial this all back and say we concede and we give in. But I believe we ought to recognize the divine favor of the hand of God upon the church and say here are two empty hands. You can use these hands, Lord. Amen. I want to yield myself to you completely and wholly. Amen. I believe that I believe that when God spoke clear and concise directions to Daniel and into his life, I believe that was a direct result of the relationship that Daniel had with God. Like Noah and Daniel, I believe that we have got to maintain close fellowship with God. This is not a time to be drifting, ladies and gentlemen. Amen. I don't want to just speak to those who are in this auditorium tonight, but I want to speak to anybody that hears or watches this message. This is not a time to be drifting. Amen, this is not a time to see how far we can get away. I believe that now more than ever before that we need to be as close to God as we possibly can, close to his word as we possibly can. We need to be devoted and dedicated. Amen, immerse ourselves in prayer and consecration. Praise God. I think it is important to note of men like Daniel and men like Noah that they did not build this kind of relationship with God overnight, but they built it through years of communication. I believe the songwriter had it right when they penned the words, sweeter gets the journey every day. Amen. I'm going to tell you that the more I find out about God, the more I discover about his word. Amen. The longer I serve him, it wasn't a drudgery for me to get dressed and come tonight. Amen. I wasn't trying to figure out what I could do to get out of being here tonight. Amen. I'm not trying to see how fast we can get through this to go on to something else tonight because sweeter gets the journey every day. Amen. How about some of you that's been walking this way for decades? Amen. It just gets sweeter every day, every mile, every mile. Praise God. Praise God. There's a second lesson in the story of Noah. I believe that when you live righteous in an unrighteous world, it's going to stand out. Amen. It's amazing it is amazing what happens in our perverse world today when you just do the smallest thing right. <laughs> it's amazing the look on the cashier when they hand you too much change and you correct that situation. They look like you're, like you're an alien. What in the world happened? Or when you tell the truth in a situation that would, would ultimately work against you. I'm not trying to make a big deal of telling the truth. We ought to always tell the truth. But you know, something went out of warranty the day before. 
right? And you say, man, I missed that by 24 hours. Now I have to pay the price. And the world looks at you like, you know how many people would have twisted that, turned that. David said in, in Psalms 15 and 4, it got a little quiet right there on the warranty thing. <laughs> just, be, just, want, just want you to know I noticed that. <laughs> I fooled around touched a nerve. Didn't I? <laughs> I was in the dentist chair a little earlier today, and she touched a nerve. I know what a nerve feels like. I touched a nerve. Gen- uh, <laughs> Psalms, Psalms, Genesis. Deuteronomy, somewhere in, in, in Psalms 15 and 4. Psalms 15 and 4, you can check me. David speaks of those that sweareth to their own hurt and changeth not. It, it's possibly the most powerful portion, certainly of the 15th Psalm. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. Psalms 15 and 4. Because... This powerful truth speaks specifically to the depths of integrity to a true worshiper. That we are going to tell the truth even if it goes against me. I've just got to lay it all on the line. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to morph into something that I wasn't yesterday just to try to make this situation work for me. I'm going to be honest. If we can think about the contrast between Noah and those around him, it was an unbelievable, it was a radical difference. Genesis talks about in, in chapter 6 and 9, it describes Noah as being this man who was godly or this man who was blameless. If we look then to who he was living with and living around, the Bible says that in the fifth verse that God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, continually, bathed, saturated, soaked, in evil, and what can we do wrong? And yet, in the background is this one lone figure or family that is described as godly and blameless. Verse 11 conveys that the earth was ruined in the sight of God, filled with violence. For at least 500 years, Noah watched the world around him become more and more sinful. Evil grew worse and worse daily. As the world grew darker, the distinction between Noah and his peers became even greater. And can I tell you that is so descriptive of the hour in which we live. As the world gets darker, how much more prominent does righteousness stand out in the midst of all the unrighteousness of our world? The witness of his consistent character, I believe, not only served as a judgment in his time, but I believe that it served as a judgment for generations to come. For instance, in Ezekiel chapter 14, the prophet Ezekiel spoke against the wicked nations of his day. And then he boldly declared that even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were present, only they would be saved. He pulled out these righteous characters, people that had the divine favor of God upon their lives. In 2 Peter 2 and 5, Simon Peter described Noah Interestingly, he describes him as a preacher of righteousness. Now, we have no way of knowing. You know, when we hear the word preacher, we kind of have a fixed object in our mind as to what a preacher would be. But we have no way of knowing whether Noah uh, was literally a preacher or 
preached the message as we know as a preacher today or whether or not that it was just his life that preached righteousness everywhere he went. I know a lot of preachers that are not preachers. Amen. I know a lot of people that are preaching the gospel that don't have a license in their pocket, don't occupy or claim uh, a call to a pulpit ministry, but God has just put so much favor upon their lives that was built from relationship with him that everywhere they go, they just preach without opening their mouth a message of righteousness to the world. Amen. We do know this, that both Ezekiel and Simon Peter used Noah as a witness of godly character. This is the template. This is what it should look like. For them, this was the epitaph of Noah. Unfortunately for Noah's generation, he was right there, all of this righteousness, and yet none took advantage of that. They ignored the message, or certainly they ignored the example of his righteous life, and their destruction came suddenly upon them. Now, when speaking to the disciples about the unexpectedness of his second coming, Jesus also used the contrast of Noah's witness against the unrighteous world in which he lived. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37, the Bible says, But in the days of Noah, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking. Marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. And they knew not till the flood came and took them all away. The scripture says, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. My Lord, if I could put a comma in all of this right here tonight, I would say this. That the church at least should be looking out our window today. And we are seeing the Bible unfold before our very eyes. Amen. Amen. We're, we're, not, we're, we're, we're not picking up the morning paper or we're not looking at the headlines today and then folding that up and saying, well, I wonder where that applies or I wonder how that could happen or I, I don't see how this could be possible. We are not, we are not serving and living 40, 50, or 60 years ago. Amen. Where they're looking out the window and can't make as much sense as we are able to make today. Amen, we're living in a generation you would have to be living under a rock to, un to not understand how quickly that a one-world government could form. Amen, we would have to be living under a rock to not believe how quickly all of the complexion of that we know as life or normals of normalcy could change in a moment of time. And yet the Bible says they knew not until the flood came and took them away. We ask how could we be spiritually blind in such an hour? Amen. I will tell you today that we need more than a building with a steeple, but we need people inside that have a relationship with God. Amen. Someone that knows what the altar feels like. Amen. That not someone that knows what it is like to be in the presence of God. Amen. Oh, God. At some point, I understand, and I don't want to linger here too long, but I understand that at some point, Noah looked like a maniac. At some point, 
In the beginning stages, Noah looked like a man who had lost his mind. Noah was the man when they passed on the street, they gathered their children to keep them away. You know, we didn't just stay away from this man. But as this ark began to take shape, they had to understand we've never beheld anything like this. I don't fully understand it. When the rain started descending, you would think something would have shaken them. But I will tell you, amen, that if you give yourself to a life of sin, how could it be that they knew not until the flood took them away? How could it be such spiritual blindness until they knew not. I will tell you, look around us today. Amen. The church houses ought to be filled to overflowing. Hallelujah. Stadiums ought to be filled to overflowing, saying, Lord, let us in. Don't keep us out. Let me be a part of what's going on in the world today, the spirit world today. God help us. God help us. God help us. We need the power of God to stir our minds and our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Looking back to the example of Daniel, without a doubt, perhaps the, the most famous part of his storied life was his experience in the lion's den. We read about it in the sixth chapter. Daniel served God in a foreign land through at least three rulers and two different political kingdoms. He was not serving God in a crystal palace. He didn't have a lot of help. He had everything going against him. A foreign land, three different rulers, two different political kingdoms. And, and against this backdrop, Daniel's righteous character made him stand out among his peers. There's something different about Daniel. Many scholars believe that at this point in Daniel's life, he was an 80-year-old man. Amen. Kind of sounds like Caleb, doesn't it? <laughs> I still got as much vinegar as I've ever had. Just lead me back to that mountain. Amen. I remember where I drove down the stake. I remember when I drove it down and said, I'll be back. I like Abraham. I'm going. I'm coming. But I'm coming back down again. Amen. I will be back. 80 years old, he gained so much favor that the king considered putting him in charge of his entire kingdom. Think about it now. He's a prisoner. He's a captive in a foreign land. <laughs> I'm talking about favor. And the Bible says in Daniel 6 and 3, then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and the princes <laughs> because... An excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. He was the odd man out. He was the convict. He was the prisoner. He was the captive. And yet, he was preferred above the presidents and the princes because there was an excellent spirit in him that even... <laughs> that even evil could recognize. There's something special about this man. Blinded by jealousy, the other officials tried their best. We will discredit Daniel. That's all we got to do. We just got to start a rumor mill and we'll, we'll just chop the legs out from under this man that everybody thinks is all of that. 
And so in Daniel 6 and 4, the Bible says, Then the president and the princes, those that he was greater than, they decided, they sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. My Lord, have mercy. Think about that. We'll just drum up something. Let's just, we'll get a search party, go look through his life, comb through everything and bring us back a little bit of trash. We'll just destroy this man's reputation and they could find no fault. They could find no error in him. How many people you ever met like that? Moving right along. Through deception, these princes and, and presidents manipulated a new law into action. And so they said, we will just threaten Daniel's prayer time. That's what we'll do. And we know that he's just going to wind up in, a, in the lion's den. And their devious mind set a trap. Now, they never thought for one moment that Daniel was going to stop praying. You need to remember that. Because they weren't even trying to keep him from praying. They knew his devotion to prayer. What they were trying to do was rid him. They were trying to get him off the scene. We'll just, we'll just force a new law. We'll just push this through. We'll railroad this through. And, and Daniel's going to keep on praying. And he'll get thrown into the lion's den. And they'll, they'll, that'll be the end of him. And now we'll be able to do what we want to do. And I believe that even further speaks to the character of Daniel. Amen. They said, we got to figure out something. Amen. We know he's going to keep praying. We know where they're going to be. I'm going to tell you today, I'm very thankful. I am very thankful. Amen. To be alive in this very hour. I am extremely thankful to be alive in this hour because we got to see firsthand. We got to be a part of history. Amen. What's going to happen if we say, well, amen, I understand the big picture here, so I'm not trying to speak disparagingly of anyone, but what's going to happen and if we close the church doors, well, the church is just going to figure out how to have church around it. Amen. Because the enemy understood one thing. I don't think we're going to stop them from praying. I don't think we're going to stop them from preaching. I don't think we're going to stop them from worshiping or praising. Amen. We're going to continue to move on. And you know what? The church continues to surge forward. I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be a part of the church in this 21st century. Glad to be a part of the church. After spending the night with the lions, Daniel was miraculously saved by God. We know that even the king went to the den the next morning with the expectation that he was going to be there. Amen. And as God does us, only what God can do, those that were after him were killed in his place. Like Noah, Daniel's righteousness and his faithfulness brought about his deliverance. I'll ask our musicians to come. I've said this a couple times before. I'm closing, but it's a little bit of a runway. All right. All right. Amen. Don't gather up the children just yet. <laughs> Another lesson that we learn from Noah is that when you live righteously, God will share his plan with you. Yes, he will. I've never had breakfast with God. Never sat on the front porch over a cup of coffee. Had long, lengthy conversations with God. 
But I'm going to tell you that God has revealed snippets of his plan. Amen. He certainly has revealed his plan to me. He's revealed his plans to you. Scripture doesn't tell us what Noah's occupation was before the flood, but certainly it wasn't an ark builder. God shared with Noah the coming destruction and the way that Noah's family, this is your way out. This is how you'll escape. It had to sound like the most bizarre thing in all the world. Not so much to us today. So it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around what God was really telling Noah when he was telling him what to do. It is a story that is so familiar to us, and I don't say this to be any way taken out of the way, but it's a story that's so familiar to us, the impact of it really has no longer truly moves us like it should. But when you live righteously, God will start unfolding his plan. And the scripture, you know, again, leaves out a a lot. But we do know that the Lord began to reveal to him very specific plans about the ark. You read them. He told them how long, how high, how many stories, how many windows, how many doors, and what kind of wood. Pitch it within, without. Very specific. This was a conversation that would change Noah's life forever. Forever. You know, sometimes we think, oh, to be in the presence of God. But it could be a life changer. A trajectory changer. In a moment, all of Noah's plans, whatever they were, we're not clear about that we don't know the Bible doesn't say what Noah intended to do with his life but we do know that from that moment forward everything Noah had ever planned was now changed if he had any short term goals whatever they were became shelved and short term goals began the next morning by gathering the lumber the wood the Materials that would take to build this. If he had any long-term goals, they had all been changed because you're not going to be doing that. You're going to dedicate many, 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 many years of your life to building an ark. Living a righteous life, I believe, does and will produce unexpected consequences, but not all unanticipated consequences are bad. I believe that for Noah, the consequences of his lifestyle certainly led to the salvation of his family. God didn't ask Noah, do do you want to build a boat? How do you feel about building a boat? God just simply redirected his path in a moment of prayer. God didn't ask Noah's opinion. He didn't even ask Noah's permission to disrupt his life. But after God instructed Noah to build the ark, his life gained a new perspective. He just started walking down a different path. It was a God-ordered, a God-ordained, and a God-favored path. It was probably inconvenient, and at times it was probably costly, but nobody could argue with the results because when we choose to live righteously, we're choosing to let God interrupt our plans and set us on a new path.
We can't walk in close fellowship with God without being obedient to what he asks us. We've got to just say, Lord, here, here am I. I'm just going to yield myself to you. When, when God gives us new direction, then I believe we've got to be prepared to respond and change direction. Sometimes you think you're going to do this, but God says, I need you to do that. And so when God gets involved in our lives, he can disrupt our agenda. He can, he can just say, you were walking this way, but now I need you to walk this way. And, and if we're going to be in his will, we have to acquiesce to his will and say, I've got to put my plans down and, and I've got to walk after you. I believe a, a case in point here is building a massive vessel to house one family and, and hundreds of animals just could not have made sense at the time he got the instructions. How could it make sense? What we can be assured of, I believe, is this, that no matter what God asks us to do, or no matter how ridiculous it may seem at the time, if we do what God asks us to do, it will ultimately work for our benefit. Because when God, or we allow God to change our plans, it doesn't just change our plans and benefit us but it blesses others as well. And so I think resoundingly we can say we all owe a debt to Noah because he found grace and favor in the eyes of God. Not only did Noah's favor with God bring about the salvation of his family, but it preserved human life. We're here today because of that. In one sense, the righteousness of Noah became the conduit for salvation for all humanity. We're here tonight on this Wednesday evening because of what we're reading about in the book of Genesis. Not only did God or did Noah walk with God with an open heart and an open mind, but he, he walked with God with a willingness in his flesh to say, whatever you would have me to do, that's what I'm going to do. There was no way that Noah could have been thinking, you know, I'm going to save the world. Absolutely not. He was just walking one day at a time, having no indicator of the outcome or the consequences and so I believe by the same token that when we walk with God day by day we have no way of knowing what us being here tonight is going to weigh in the future of someone else we have no way of measuring that no way of knowing that we can plan for tomorrow but we can't really see what is around the corner amen I believe that I've often said that whatever God gives us well, hold on to it loosely. You've heard me say that many times through the years. And, and so even with our time, our agenda, our plans, our goals, it's wonderful to have those things, but we are to hold on to them loosely, understanding that this is subject to the will of God. Amen. I've met some blessed old timers through the years that, that was just ingrained in them. We would say something like, I'll see you tomorrow. They'll see if God's will. Amen. If God's will, we'll be here Sunday. If God's will, because they understand I'm holding something, but I'm holding it lightly. Because tomorrow's interrupted schedule may not just benefit you. It, it may benefit somebody else, so we need to hold it loosely. A young lady was invited by a friend to a gospel singing at a Pentecostal church where her friend attended. And so she went to this concert, certainly enjoyed the music, and decided... I'm going to visit that church next Sunday. When the pastor came to the pulpit that morning to preach, as you've heard often, and it's happened in my life before, 
he announced to the congregation that I am not going to preach what I intended to preach, but I feel like God has just laid something on my heart. And he said, I feel like today I just need to go back to basics. And with that, he preached about baptism and repentance and baptism in Jesus' name. The young lady who was visiting that service heard that message for the first time in her life. And that day became a change point for her. And that message ultimately led to her new birth experience. Just one small change that was held loosely in the hands of one man that heard God say, I need you to go here instead of here. And a woman's destiny was changed. And because of that, her family's destiny was changed. Amen. That's exactly what our good brother Williams was talking about tonight. Amen. Someone invited his mother to church. Amen. Somebody was obedient to the voice of God, that spontaneous voice of the Lord. Amen. And somebody's life was changed. Amen. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.